Family, it's good to see you this morning as our summer quickly winds down. When we began our Ephesians study, I asked you a question, and that question was, I think, in our very second sermon on Ephesians. That's the question of, who are you? What is your identity? And the reason I ask that is because much of what we've seen in Ephesians 1 and 2 so far, and we'll keep seeing in the first three chapters of Ephesians, is the question of, what is our identity? Now, have you ever been asked that question? You're sitting on a plane next to someone, someone new is in the neighborhood, and they said, hey, tell me about yourself. They may not ask it quite as bluntly as, who are you? But they may say, tell me about yourself. How do you answer that question? Have you ever tried to answer that question with just one sentence? It's virtually impossible. I've tried before. Someone's like, well, who are you? Well, I'm a follower of Jesus, a husband to Julia, a father to Grady, Richard and Mary Elizabeth, and a pastor at Gateway. You know? If I stop there, they're going to look at me, and they're going to be like, and well, tell me about your family or tell me about the church you pastor. They, they want to know more about that because our relationships are so deep. Our identity is so entwined with all that. There's not a quick, easy answer I can give you in one sentence of who I am. Well, today as we come to Ephesians chapter 2, which I hope you go ahead and find in your copy of God's Word, we're coming to the question of identity once again. But now our identity together, our corporate identity as believers together. Now, last week we saw that God was actively working to bring together people from different backgrounds in order to create one body, to create the church. And we saw the last week that this is all God's work. And we saw when God brings people from different backgrounds together, when God brings diversity together, he's not doing it to coexist, but he's doing it to create oneness in the church. And that's exactly what's been happening in Ephesus. If you think about what's going on, Paul's writing to believers. They're not gathering in a big sanctuary somewhere. They're gathering in house churches. They're gathering in people's homes. You have people who were Jews and people who were Gentiles who hated each other who are now meeting in the same home on a Sunday morning to praise God together. You have people who formerly went to Artemis' temple, that massive wonder of the ancient world, to offer sacrifices there to Diana or to Artemis in that temple who are now followers of Christ, who are joining with people who have been Jews, who are now Messianic Jews, who are gathered alongside in houses people who have formerly practiced black magic or occult things, and they're all gathered in homes together worshiping God on these Sunday mornings as the church. You had people who were Roman citizens and people who were foreigners in the city all now together in Ephesus gathered in homes worshiping Christ together. This is the body. This is the diversity of what Christ has brought together in Ephesus in the church to be one body. So as such, friends, the issue of identity would be very, very real to them. There's people who would gather in those house churches in Ephesus whose identity had been their citizenship, that they were Roman citizens. Now they find themselves kind of at the opposition of the Roman government. The Roman government doesn't know what to do with them. You have people who were foreigners who didn't really feel like their identity was with the people there who now all of a sudden find identity with people who were very different than them. You have people who used to worship in Diana's temple in this massive place of splendor in terms of all the beauty and how ornate it was who are now gathering in dark rooms and houses going, what's my identity now? And so Paul addresses to the people in Ephesus and to us this question of identity. Who are we, the people of God from diverse backgrounds, who are gathered together? So this morning we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 17 as Paul speaks to us about what is our identity. Not my identity, not your identity, but what is our identity together as the church. Now normally when we come to the text, either right before I read the, the text or right after I read the text, I give you a main idea. Like one sentence to summarize the whole text that we build everything on. Well, that would be about as helpful today as me saying you have to describe yourself in 15 words or less. Because we're talking about the identity of the church, the people of God 
gathered. So instead of trying to condense it down to a few words, I want to give you a challenge as we approach the text today that we're going to wrestle with. So instead of a main idea, you have a challenge for today. And here's our challenge as we read and consider the text. It's simply this. Let's rediscover the wonder of our identity together as a church. I want this morning as we read the scripture to prayerfully rediscover the wonder of who God says we are as the body of Christ gathered together. Because these verses we're going to read are absolutely stunning, friends. We're seeing God at work building His church. And He doesn't have just one image to tell us who we are. He's going to go through three different images in this text to help us understand the wonder, the marvel of what the church is, the marvel of what it means for believers from diverse backgrounds to come together united in Christ to worship Him, to glorify Him, and to serve Him. We're going to pick up with our reading today from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that you've told us who we are. You've told us what our identity is together as brothers and sisters in the church. And I pray this morning that your word would come alive to us. God, that you would stretch us and stretch our understanding of who we are together as your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This text to discover the wonder of what Christ has done for us. The wonder of our identity together in the church. So first of all, the context of what we're looking at this morning. Let's start back in verse 19. So that's really where we left off last week. In verse 19 it says, So then... Friends, there's a big transition here. What we're reading this morning flows out of everything we've seen. What we're reading is not isolated to just this particular text. So then, so then, what is the what? The then is everything that we saw last week. Everything we saw last week about, about God creating one body of believers from diverse backgrounds. Everything we saw last week about God restoring us to a right relationship with Him. Everything we saw about God making us right with each other, forgiving us of our sins, and killing the hostility between us. In fact, everything we saw last week was summarized in verses 17 and 18 for us. And He, He being Jesus, and He came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's the encapsulation, the summary of all that we saw last year. Because of what Christ has done in bringing us peace, therefore what Christ has done in killing the hostility, so then, verse 19, because of what Christ has done, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's saying you have a new identity. Because of what Christ has done, you have an identity. And friends, it's not one that you have to find. This is not an identity text that says go on a self-discovery to figure out who you are. Go get away in the woods for a few days and figure out who you are. It's not an identity as a church. We have to go on some big retreat as elders and deacons and leaders in the church to figure out what is our identity at Gateway. This is not a self-discovery identity. This is a God-given, revealed identity for us. This identity that's so profound that we marvel at so much, he has to use multiple images to try to convey the wonder and the depth of it because it's more than any one image can convey for us. So as we look at this identity that we have together collectively as the body of Christ, I want to remind us at the outset, before we look at these images, this is a corporate identity. 
In our culture, we talk about identity so often as me and Jesus. It's my identity. But when we look at identity in Scripture here, it's about us together, the believers, brothers and sisters in Christ together. And so I pray that we'll discover the wonder of this corporate identity we have as the church. So who are we? We've got three images from the text to help us understand who we are. Number one, we together are citizens of God's kingdom. The first image that Paul gives to us here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is together we are citizens of God's kingdom. Look back at verse number 19 for us here. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Now, what is a citizen? A citizen is a person who belongs to a country. A citizen is a person that has special rights and protections under that government. And you have to realize at the time, citizenship, people had a very strong sense of pride in their citizenship. Citizens of countries at the time had very much a common heritage, had very much a common identity, a common goal, a common allegiance at the time. And that's the image Paul is pulling for us here, that we have an allegiance, we have a heritage, we have a goal, but it's even stronger than any political group could put together. We now have a citizenship belonging as God's people, not just for a season, for 70 or 80 or 90 years of life, but for all eternity, for trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years, just to get started, we have an identity as citizens of God's forever kingdom under his rule. But notice how it's phrased here in verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Friends, our citizenship is not a private, personal matter between me and God. Citizenship is very much corporate. It's very much plural. It's communal by nature. And we have a citizenship that includes us with the saints with every other brother and sister in Christ on the planet. Whether we know them or not, we are fellow citizens. With every Christian who's lived before and every Christian who will come after, we are together under this heavenly kingdom as citizens together. That means it's brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a citizenship together. It means we have a common heritage, regardless of our differences. We have a common allegiance to Christ. We have a common goal to see him glorified. And we have a common destination that we will one day all be together forever, free of sin, in heaven for all eternity. Because if you want to think about it this way, our home is not here. Our home is ultimately with Christ in heaven. And so we're kind of like we're together on a business trip for these 70 or 80 or 90 years of life, whatever the Lord gives us, doing his work here before we go home. So friends, together as a church, our identity is one to where we're citizens together under the rule of Christ with our greatest allegiance to him. And I pray we rediscover the wonder of what it means to be citizens of God's forever kingdom. Because that means we have greater security than the largest army in the world can offer us. That means we have greater purpose than any political mission any government's ever sent out because we're on mission for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we have greater unity because we're together, not just people of happenstance to live in the same country, we're people together united in Christ to do what God has called us to do. That's what we are as a church. We are citizens together in God's kingdom. But friends, that doesn't stop there because that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of who we are in Christ. It goes even deeper than that and more personal than that. Second of all, our identity is we together are members of God's family. We together are members of God's family. So we are citizens of his kingdom. That's the church, us together. But we also are together members of his family. Look at verse 19 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. This carries on the adoption theme that we looked at more in depth when we were looking back in chapter 1, that we are adopted children of God, that in Christ, regardless of our past, you and I now are brothers and sisters in Christ. We all belong to God together. We're in his family. That means he knows us. 
He cares about us. We belong to him. He accepts us. But again, don't lose the wonder of this. If we are now sons and daughters of God, adopted into his family, because that means he sees us the way he sees Jesus. And don't lose the wonder of He sees us like he sees Jesus. Because when Christ died, so often we talk about all of our sin being put on Christ on the cross and our sins being forgiven. And that is so true. But don't miss it. When Christ died in our place, not only did our sins get put on Christ, but his righteousness got credited to us. His righteousness was imputed, was given to us. And so the only reason you and I, friends, are able to approach God is because not only are our sins forgiven, but God sees us as he sees Christ. We're covered in Christ's righteousness. And so God the Father sees us and treats us like he does Jesus. That's why it was so amazing what we sang last Sunday morning, that we are seated at his table. Once your enemies now seated at your table, Jesus, I thank you. Friends, as people who now together belong to the family of God, we're now seated at his table. We're seated with Jesus experiencing his presence daily, no matter what's happening around us. We're sitting there experiencing the love of the Father to us, the way he loves the Son. And friends, we're seated there, not just me at the table alone with Jesus, but all of us as the saints throughout all of history, seated together with him as brothers and sisters who are being loved by the Father, loving him in return, and loving one another because we're all in the same family. I pray we rediscover the wonder of that, that our identity, friends, is we're citizens together in God's kingdom. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who are seated at his table together in his family. There's an image even more stunning in this text than even those images to try to tell us who we are together. And that's the third image that's in this text for us, that we together are a growing temple for God's presence. We together collectively, who are we as the church? We are a growing temple for God's presence. There's an important clarification in this for us here. Because we don't get to build ourselves however we want to. There is, without getting on a soapbox, there's so much nonsense that's circulated today about what the church is trying to be. The church is trying to reinvent themselves to be culturally appealing and culturally cool and all these things and redoing their entire structure to try to make themselves more palatable to the culture. Friends, we don't have the freedom to structure the church like we want to structure the church. We are a growing temple that is by God's design. We're being built together the way God has sovereignly ordained for us to be built together. Look at verse 20 in our text here. This carries on the you are. So back in verse 19, so then you are, fellow citizens, so then you are members of the household of God. The you are carries on here in verse 20. So then you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. A quick glimpse back into the time that Paul was writing to people in Ephesus. If they were going to build a building in Ephesus, you didn't go clear the dirt, lay a concrete foundation, and start putting wood timbers up on it. That's not how buildings were built at the time. So the imagery here for us is what they would do is they would take a cornerstone, a massive stone. In fact, one of the cornerstones of the temple in Jerusalem was 29 feet long. It was bigger than a train boxcar would be today. And they would drop in this place this massive cornerstone, and everything else would align to that cornerstone. That cornerstone would give the character of the building, the look of the building, the shape of the building, the alignment of the building. If the cornerstone didn't get put right, everything else in the building would be crooked and wrong in the end. So they put the cornerstone in place, and then aligned to the cornerstone was the rest of the foundation stones that got put in after that. And so that's a very intentional image for us here of what is happening here. Look back at verse 20. This is us, the church. This is our identity together. We are being built by God on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Friends, for us, the cornerstone is Christ. The church has to take the whole character of Christ, the whole demeanor of Christ, the whole feel of Christ. He is the one who gives alignment to all that we do. The remainder of our foundation is the apostles and the prophets. 
Now, this is less about the people who were the apostles and the prophets and more about the message that the apostles and the prophets brought. As Jesus spoke through them to tell us who God is and who we are together. The apostles and the prophets is a summary of the scriptures, the word of God. So if you want to think of it, for us, Christ is a cornerstone, the word of God. The scriptures are the rest of the foundation, the scriptures that came through these apostles and prophets. So, friends, our identity together corporately is not for us to go on a church retreat to figure out our, our identity at Gateway. Our mission is to go back to the Scripture and align ourselves to the character of Christ. To go back to the Scriptures and to align all we do on the authoritative, unchanging Word of God, letting Him build us as a people the way that He sovereignly wants. Well, friends, what happens when people who are citizens of God's kingdom, when people who are brothers and sisters in Christ come together on Christ as the cornerstone, come together on the authority of the Word of God? What is He doing in our midst? And look back at verse 20 and 21 here. You are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So what is your identity, friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ? Your identity is your blocks, and that's not an offense. Your bricks, and that's not an offense. We together are blocks. We together are stones, bricks, being built by God, being put together to be a temple for himself. It's a compliment to realize that we are blocks together. Friends, God has sovereignly put you for such a time as this, in this place in Montgomery, Alabama. He's given you this season of life and his sovereign plan, giving you your gifts, your talents, your passions for a reason. Because he's put you where he wants you to be, the block that you are, and part of his temple that he is building. And it's we who are fellow citizens, we who are brothers and sisters in God's family, see his table, now come together corporately, anchored on Christ as a cornerstone, anchored on the foundation, the unchanging word of God. What does he do in our midst? Verse 21, in whom the whole structure, that's us, the blocks, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What does he do to us collectively? What's our identity together? He's joining us together. Our identity is not me and Jesus. Our identity is us together, being joined together by God. And like I showed you last week in the text, this is not just a coexistence so we can try to get along. This is a unity, a oneness that God is building here because he's doing something so much bigger than anything can be done just through us individually. He's doing something bigger that requires not just my gifts and talents, but requires all of our different spiritual gifts and different talents together to do what God wants to do. He's joining us together. And not just joining us together for his mission. He's joining us together. He's putting me as a block here next to you as a block here next to you as a block here so we can support each other, so we can pray for one another, so we can encourage one another, so we can hold one another up to serve each other. Friends, we have an amazing mission together, unified together as blocks, resting on the foundation of the authority of Scripture that he's building up to something glorious and grand. So he joins us. But look at what else he does in verse 21 for us here. He not only joins us, he grows us. There's kind of two images here. There's a growing of spiritually going deeper, but there's also a growing in numbers. Now, this is not a promise that every church is going to grow numerically. But what this is showing us is that throughout history, there's not a time that the church is going to kind of decline and the gates of hell are going to win. Christ is very clear the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. The church universe is going to constantly be growing because God in his sovereignty is going to be adding more and more people to his kingdom, more citizens, more brothers and sisters, as he's building this beautiful temple of people together. Not a building, but people together to bring him glory. So he joins us. He grows us. But also look at what else he does in verse 21. He grows us into a holy temple. God is at work sanctifying us, making us more holy. God loves us so much, he doesn't leave us where we are. 
He takes us, all of our differences, all of our past, all of our past struggles, he brings us together, makes us into a body of Christ, makes us into his family, makes us citizens, makes us blocks that he's building together, and he makes us more and more holy. We're blocks who are becoming more and more holy so we can reflect his glory. He's changing us. And as he does this, he takes us together and makes us, look at what happens, verse 22. This is stunning of what happens when we come together this way as people join together, people growing, people being sanctified in his presence together collectively our identity, verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Don't miss the wonder of that. He is building us together to be what? A dwelling place for God. He's going to fill our very gatherings together as we as fellow citizens, as we as brothers and sisters come together to worship him, come together to serve him. He's going to fill our presence and this will be a dwelling place for him. It's a very intentional image that's being used here because the Jewish people in particular would be stunned at this and floored by this. Because this goes back to the imagery of Exodus chapter 40 when the tabernacle was built and the presence of the Lord came to dwell with them. You had the Shekinah glory descending on that. That's the image that Paul is conveying here. The image of 1 Kings 8 when the temple was finally built and dedicated and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was his dwelling place. He's saying now that is you, saints. You, brothers and sisters, when you're together, this is now my dwelling place. What God is saying to us, friends, is he says, I have sovereignly chosen you from different backgrounds. I've I've brought diversity together, and I've made you together as citizens of my kingdom. I've adopted you all together into my family. I've given you a seat next to Jesus, and not just for you, but for this multitude of other people, so that when you come together by my design as a church, when you come together as my people, I will fill it with my glory. There is no more physical temple needed anymore, but rather the glory of God is in the midst of his people who are gathered. And friends, think of how encouraging that would be to the people in Ephesus, particularly the people who were formerly idolaters who worshipped in that massive temple to Artemis there. This temple that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They had spent their life, they'd grown up probably as children, worshipping these massive statues, worshipping this splendid palace. And now they're gathered in little dark rooms and houses around Ephesus singing to the Lord. And God's saying, listen, you see that what looks like physical beauty in your eyes of that massive temple? Guess what? That pales in comparison to the beauty when my glory falls on your little gathering in that back room of that house as you being the church in Ephesus come together. As former enemies come together, the glory of God descends in that and his people glorify him in return. Friends, our identity together as believers together in the church is so rich it takes multiple images to convey it. We're citizens who belong to the Lord. We have a common heritage, common values, common goals, a common authority. We are family members together who share life together. We're seated at the table together. We belong to God together. We belong to one another. We need to spend time together because we're in the same family. But together as this happens, God builds us. He grows us into becoming a dwelling place for him and his glory descends in our midst. Because that's stunning, that's glorious, that's wonderful. What happens when you see something stunning? When you see something glorious? The time you've been out in God's creation, you've seen a snow-covered mountaintop that you get to hike up and conquer. The time you've seen the breathtaking storm coming in on the ocean. The time that you've seen the Grand Canyon. Not even just in nature, but the time you've tasted some delicious food and realized that God gave you taste buds to enjoy and there's something marvelous that you've just tasted. Or if you're like me, that time you ride that amazing roller coaster and you're just marveling at the feel you have when you come off of Whatever it is in life that is, when you have discovered the wonder of something, what do you do about it? Do you get done with that experience of God's creation, that experience of that fun ride, that experience of that food, and go back to Instagram, go back to TV and just shrug your soul to be like, I'm done? 
when you've experienced something truly marvelous and you were, and you discovered the wonder of something, you find yourself thinking about it, longing for more of it, wanting to experience it again. You find yourself talking to others about it. That's why when you come back from that amazing trip, you're posting pictures all over Instagram and Facebook about it. That's why you're talking about that experience. That's why you're sharing your recipe with others, whatever it is. Because when you've discovered the wonder of something, when, you're, when you marvel at something, you can't keep it in. You want to talk about it. Friends, what would happen if we really, is, by God's grace, caught the wonder of what the church is? Instead of just seeing a place we gather for an hour on Sunday mornings, instead of thinking of it in terms of physical buildings, we really caught the wonder of the church, which is the people of God together, the wonder of a citizenship together, the wonder of a family identity together, the wonder of God's presence, His glory descending in our midst together. What would happen if we really captured the wonder of all of that? That we're citizens together. Our members together, we are a growing temple. Because that's my challenge for us this morning, is for us to rediscover the wonder of the church, to rediscover the wonder of our identity together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what better way to reflect on that than to celebrate communion together? Because communion is not a private thing I do just alone with God. It's something that he's given to the church, to his people to do together. It's a powerful image for us of what has brought us together from all of our backgrounds and differences, that he has brought us together as his people. He has seated us at his table and given us access to him. But friends, as we celebrate what God has done in making us citizens, as we celebrate what God has done in bringing us into his families, we celebrate what God has done in making us part of his temple that he dwells, we must not forget that it was free to us. It came with an incredibly high cost. In fact, as we come to communion, I want us to reflect on that. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, has a very profound text for us to consider as we think about communion. We're reminded there that knowing that you were ransomed, rescued, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. Friends, the things that most in the world would be running after. God's saying, you've been rescued, but no amount of silver or gold can rescue. Rather, you're rescued of what? The precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Because if we think about the fact that we can be citizens together, if we think about the fact that we can be family members together, if we think about the fact that God's glory descends when we come together as his people, as a temple that he is building up to show his glory, friends, it's free to us, but it came at a high cost. It came to the cost of the precious blood of Christ. As we rejoice in our identity that we're reconciled together, as we rejoice in our identity as the people of God, this morning, we get to pause and remember the cost that it came to have that experience. That's why we take communion seriously. That's not why it's something we do haphazardly. In fact, that's why there's a warning we read from Scripture pretty often. We need to read again this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because friends, we're remembering the precious blood of Christ. This is why we're told in Scripture when Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. We are given a stern warning in Scripture that if we eat without discerning the body, we drink judgment on our, eat judgment on ourselves. 
Friends, this is something we approach with seriousness. This is for those who are followers of Christ. Friends, you don't have to be a member of Gateway to celebrate communion with us. But you do have to be a follower of Jesus. You do have to know that you are a blood-bought son or daughter of God. That you're a citizen of his kingdom. That you have a seat at his table. That you're part of a block that's being built up with other blocks to be a temple for God. If you know that's you, you are welcome to come celebrate with us this morning. Because this is for anyone who's a follower of Christ who remembers what Christ has done to give them that type of freedom. To give them that seat at his table. But we want to do so with reflection. And so I'd encourage you, if you're new to Gateway, what we're going to have you do is our deacons will have you come to the front and you'll receive the elements here. And I'd encourage you as you receive the elements, we go back and say, you don't have to rush and take it. You can sit there and pray as long as you like and reflect and remember the body and blood of Christ. Remember what God has done and give thanks to him. Take a few minutes where you're seated to praise him and to pray for, to him and to thank him for all he's done, just to rejoice and remember the sacrifice that was made so that you could have a seat at the table. If you're not a follower of Christ, I just encourage you to stay in your seat. No one's going to look at you funny. There's no guilt or no shame in that. I want you to heed the warnings we were just reading in 1 Corinthians. And I'd encourage you during this time, as people who are followers of Christ celebrate this, to remain in your seat and say, God, I don't even know if you're real. I don't know if I have a seat at your table. Would you show yourself to me if you're real? And just pray and ask him. If you've never prayed before, use the time to ask him to show himself to you if he's real. And I believe he will do that. We want to come to this as a time of reverence, a time of worship, to celebrate not just my identity, not just your identity, but our identity together. That we are the church, his people, his children. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who have a seat at his table. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that we have not called to walk this, this life alone. But God, you have given us one another. Thank you for the blessing of the church. Thank you for the blessing that Lord, we have friends, that we have brothers and sisters who are blocked alongside us who you're building up and you're going to bring your glory into our midst together. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, as we come now to this time of communion, God, I pray that we would do so with much thankfulness. That, God, that you would remind us of who you are. You'd remind us of the incredible sacrifice, the precious blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. God, for all of us who know you, God, I pray this time of communion would be something that would strengthen our faith. And that we would just see the preciousness of what you've done. We'd see your glorious grace and we worship you in response. And Lord, if anyone is in here who does not know you, I pray during this time, would you be stirring their hearts, speaking to them, drawing them as only you can do. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our praise team to come and then our deacons will direct you from there.